We come to the scripture that was read in Luke chapter 23 and 24. I want us to pick up there in verse 36. Luke chapter 24 and verse 36. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. And I want to remind you, church, that he's in the midst of us today. Whatever may be heavy upon you, whatever problem you may be enduring, as he was in their midst that day, he's promised us where my people are, there I am in the midst of them. In the midst of his assembled people, our Lord is here. He stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And I would say he's speaking that to us today. Peace. Peace that passes understanding. Peace the world knows not of. But they were terrified. It didn't take away their terror. Immediately did it. And affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? I would ask that question to us today. Why are we troubled? And so, Pastor, you don't know what I'm in. I've got a a situation. You can't understand my trouble. I still ask you the question in light of the Lord being in our midst. Why? Why are you troubled? And why do your thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have you here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat it before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. The resurrection of our Savior. Our God had promised the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, that the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head, Satan after his own heel had been bruised by Satan. This was the first promise of the gospel there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Satan would bruise Jesus' heel, but Jesus would bruise Satan's head. The only way this could be done is for Jesus Christ to rise from the dead. There are several foreshadowings of the resurrection in the Old Testament, all represented uh, here we see in, in Genesis 22 verse 4 Isaac was spared on the, the third uh, at the, the three days before on the altar of sacrifice after he'd been given up to, to dead three days before the children of Israel crossed over the Red Sea on dry ground three days after the Passover lamb was slain a type of believers being raised together with Christ the prophet Jonah came out of the fish's belly after three days and nights as a, a preview And our Lord gave that as an example of a preview of his own resurrection from the tomb on the third day. The psalmist in Psalm 16 verse 9 says, Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Hades, the place of the dead. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. A.W. Pink says, We cannot make too much of the death of Christ, but we can make too little of his resurrection. 
Our hearts and minds cannot meditate too frequently upon the cross. But in pondering the sufferings of the Savior, let us not forget the glories which followed it. Calvary does not exhaust the gospel message. The Christian gospel is not only that Christ died for our sins, that's part of it, isn't it? But that also he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He was delivered for our offenses, Romans tells us, and raised again for our justification. The gospel would have been ineffective had Christ not risen again. The triune Godhead all took place in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The God the Son said, I have power to lay down my life and to take it up again. God the Father says in Romans 6 verse 4, Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. And then Romans 8 verse 11 says, But if the Spirit that raised him, uh, Jesus up from the dead dwell in you, we see the triune Godhead at work. Verse 1 of our text clearly tells us when Jesus was raised. Now, upon the first day of the week, Luke's gospel record begins there in chapter 24 and verse 1. John 20, verse 1 says, the first day of the week. Mark 16, verse 1 says, and when the Sabbath was passed, very early in the morning, on the first day of the week. Matthew is even more specific. And he puts it like this in Matthew 28, verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began toward the first day of the week... Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. I don't know about you, but that's a picture that is almost humorous, isn't it? An angel sitting upon the stone that that once held our Lord's body and the government authorities said, seal it, make it sure, make it where it cannot be moved. The Roman soldiers guarding it with their very life. And there sits an angel in a very unusual position showing Christ's victory over death. Our Lord is the head of all creation. The full requirement of the moral law of God had perfectly been fulfilled. Every thou shalt not had been absolutely lived out by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The psalmist puts it in this way in Psalm 118, verse 24. The stone which the builders refused is become the head of the corner, the keystone, as you see in these arches, the most gloriously displayed stone in architecture, those which the builder, the builder would reject all but the perfect one to put in that place when he was building an arch or in a a building, but the the Bible says the stone which the builders rejected, refused, has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made or appointed when we will rejoice and be glad in it. We rejoice in his resurrection. This is the reason why the Lord's people uh, offer our our praise on the, the first day of the week as we do every single day is our day of rest and worship. During the Old Testament, the Sabbath was the memorial of God's finished work in the old creation. Now, the first day of the week is the memorial of Christ's finished work from which flows his new creation. All things are made new. The Bible teaches that our Lord Jesus Christ, amazingly or interestingly, stayed on earth for 40 days after his resurrection. Forty in the scripture is the number of proving 
You'll often see that, don't you, in the biblical record, 40 days and nights in his proving there uh, in the, in the, uh, when he was fasting in the desert and, and that time of testing or proving, 40 days and night it, it rained. And we see that, that number throughout the scripture as a day of testing, 40 days of proving and testing. He was tempted by the devil for 40 days. We might ask, why did he not immediately upon resurrection ascend into glory? after he had accomplished the great work at Calvary in paying the debt of our sin. And why did he not just go immediately into heaven? Why the 40 days? Why linger here that length of time here on earth? After he showed himself to his disciples, they could validate it and vet him. And they became the apostles and gifted with his authority and power. Why didn't he just immediately ascend into heaven? Why didn't he go up then? For one thing, he had many things to teach them yet. Now it's all coming clear. All the pieces of the puzzle were fitting in. Some of the things he told them they had heard, but they hadn't sunk in. And now he was able to say, see, this is what I mean. And in that period of time, what would formulate as the apostles' doctrine or the New Testament body of of Scripture that we hold dear, he once again rehearsed and taught the, the apostles of the church that's been handed down to us today these glorious and precious truths. He was seen of of countless witnesses during this time. As we've mentioned by all the apostles, and I mentioned this morning in the Sunday school hour, no one would die for something they were not convinced of, being the absolute truth. Someone held a gun to your head and asked you to recant your your faith, or, or if you died for someone, giving your life for someone, you would only do that if you were fully convinced it was the thing to do. All these apostles died a martyr's death for what they, what they came to know is that the truth of the gospel. We hear of it across the world even now, martyrs dying for their faith in Christ by all the apostles, many of his followers, and at one time, in one place, in a gathering uh, 500 uh, people witnessed the resurrected Christ. And Paul in his record said many of them were alive at the time of the writing of the book of Corinthians who could testify that they had physically seen the risen Lord. They all saw him. They knew that it was him. They believed on him. He proved during that time of 40 days that he wasn't a ghost In fact, he says that a spirit does not have bones and and flesh as I have. A spirit does not eat food. And he he was as if proving in front of them. He took food and ate in front of them. See, a spirit, a ghost, doesn't behave in this way. In verses 40 and 41, he asked them for food and eats it. Forty days of teaching them, appearing to them, would certainly remove all doubt from their minds. Any question they had, anything they hadn't understood, would now become clear, or they had the opportunity to ask the resurrected Lord, what about this? What about that? Remember, the the gospel writers, John himself said, all the books on earth couldn't contain all that, that was revealed, all that Jesus Christ did and said. But in that 40 days, he so convincingly showed them of himself as being the Savior, the Messiah. So convinced were they that they were willing to suffer a martyr's death, a gruesome and horrible death by every account that we have for what they believed and what they held dear. We see there in verse 39 of our our text, Behold my hands and my feet. Look at them. It is myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. 
No one dies purposefully for something they're not convinced of, as these men did. During his ministry, he told them, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you're not ready to receive them. You remember when he told them that I've got a whole lot of stuff you need to know about, but you can't handle it right now. There was Peter striking the, 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 the guard, take, cutting off his ear. You'll not die. We'll die for you. All the while him telling, I must die. I must go to Jerusalem. I must die. I'll rise again. They put it out of their mind. They wouldn't receive it. They were not ready for it. He said, I have many things to tell you. And in this 40-day period of time, it was all being made clear. It was all being uh, codified for them, if you will. And he spent these days teaching them and establishing them in what we would refer to, the New Testament refers to as the Apostles' Doctrine. And as Paul would tell the Corinthians, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. Every one of the Apostles says, what I am telling you, what I am giving to you, I received personally from the Lord. This is not men's doing. What did Peter say? In his epistle, we who saw him in his transfiguration, in his resurrected body, we have a more sure word of prophecy. This, what we're giving you, is the word of God. This is not cunningly devised fables. This is not stories or things we thought or or dreamed up. This is the word of God. And so we have these things in his word given to us. He gave to his disciples specific instructions about how to do things. Up up until this time, they had no concept of what the church would be. Here he gives them the plan of the church, its leadership, its ordinances, all that should be carried out, how it should be done. After he left them, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave one with you who is just like me. He is with you. He will be in you, speaking of the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, who would indwell their very bodies. And that glorious day of Pentecost, which initiated, but even before Pentecost, He breathed on these apostles. He breathed on them. And they were indwelt by the Spirit. And then he would tell them to his his future pastors and teachers, Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I want us to notice here in Luke's record before us four things. In verses 37 through 43, I want us to notice his body examined. When there's been a situation and there's a body that something has happened to it, if the the body can be recovered and it is examined, it proves and and, and gives many proofs about what happened and what took place. And so we need to examine his body. In verses 44 through 46, his word fulfilled. In verse 47, his word preached. And then in verse 49, his promise given. His body examined, his word fulfilled, his word preached. And his promise given. Look there in verse, uh, verse 37. As we look at the record, they were terrified and affrighted. And they, he told them to ho- behold his hands and feet. And there he goes on and says, what, why, have you here any meat? And he eats it in front of them. We've already noted the fact that our Lord's body was real. In verse 37, we see that they were terrified and, and affrighted according to natural reasoning. And had decided that his appearance and is speaking to them with surely a ghost or some supernatural apparition. And let's face it, ghosts and, and tombs and, and people rising from the dead. Isn't it interesting today that there's a, an uncanny interest in the living dead and zombies? And, and I've read recently in something that it, most of us would just consider silliness, that there are people who are actually all caught up into that. In fact, a recent survey 
asking people what they thought about how the world would end, a large majority of people surveyed thought it would have something to do with zombies and, and the, these living dead things that Hollywood has, has dreamed of. Well, people, my daddy would say that some people would climb a tree to tell a lie when they could lay down and tell the truth. And some people would do anything to believe something other than the record given to them, a very plausible record of the scriptures of the word of God. He dispels that error that in their thinking and showing them in verse 39. He says, look at my hands and feet. These are the hands and feet that were nailed to the cross. Undeniable proofs to those in that room. His resurrection had not taken away those infallible signs, nor has time to this very day taken away those signs. They will forever be in our gaze and wonder throughout the endless ages. The great price that was paid to purchase us. Wounds. I have some scars on my body. Some of them are from stupidity. Uh, There's a scar here and that hand is withered. I I went home one day and and in one of these old houses here, these old hundred-year-old houses. It was a beautiful spring day like this. And tried to raise a window that hadn't been raised in a hundred years. You know, you need to... You need to do something besides go around the bottom. You know how you you push it? My hand slipped through the window, severing the nerves in that hand. I, every time I look at that, that scar, I think, why did I just go to the lunchroom and eat that day instead of going home and getting a sandwich and, and opening the windows? You know, you, that, that scar. I have a scar on my foot. Uh, I cut my toe real bad as a little first grader and had to go. We raised Cocker Spaniels, and I cut my toe on a coffee can that... We had there for their water. I don't ask me the, the reasoning for all of that. But, and I remember going and the, the, the doctor saw He said, this is not going to hurt. I'm going to sew your toe back on just like your mother show, sews your blue jeans. <laughs> I, talking about, I didn't know what a panic attack was. But, <laughs> but that's, what that, that's what happened in the, in the emergency room at Druid City Hospital. And so as I was a little older, I cut my foot horribly on a, on a, on a broken bottle. And I had a, a wise friend. There's no wise fifth grader. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, if you stay out all day long and don't go home, I have heard, this wise friend, that if you leave a wound unattended for over a period of time, that they won't be able to sew it up, they won't be able to deal with it. And I didn't have the sense to think, well, then what? You know, I almost lost that foot because of that, that advice and my fear of going and getting it attended to. It was a horrible ordeal. So when I look at these scars, you know, I look, they're in no comparison, and I'm not even wanting to put them in the same category, but think about the wounds, these memorials of our, on our Lord's body. His resurrection did not take away those wounds. He proves to them that a ghost doesn't have a, a literal body with skin and, and bones and that eats. And then to top it off, he says, and another somewhat humorous thing, do you have anything to eat? And to, to many of us, we like that verse of Scripture because that gives us hope that in the afterlife, in our glorified bodies, there may be yet another one of our pastimes that we can, can imbibe in in the, in, the, in the glory days. But And theirs in our futures, we will have a literal, tangible, yet glorified body. We'll not be floating around on clouds, strumming harps like little cupids in a, an old master painting literal human beings recognized and knowing and being known and yet with unbelievable properties and abilities that we don't fully understand. Now we, we see in part, but the apostle said one day we will see face to face 
we see our Lord really through a glass darkly, don't we? We see him through the writings of others. We see him through his written word. We see him through the, the witness of his spirit. And as glorious as these things are, think of it face to face. You can Skype a loved one. You can talk on a, a computer and see their face, but nothing is like seeing them in, in absolute personal proximity. Then face to face. Now we know in part... There's some spottiness in it. We don't understand every, as, as much as the scripture gives us, there's still some things that we don't fully understand. But then we shall know even also as I am known. We see there in verse 42, he gave them a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb. He took it and ate before them. And, it, and he just partook of it in their, in their presence. But not only was his bodily publicly examined, we see that his word was fulfilled. There in verse 44, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled. This is no happenstance. To the nth degree, all of this is fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, in the prophets, in the Psalms concerning me. Jesus said, Moses wrote concerning me. How, did, how is it that Moses wrote of Jesus Christ? And all the Levitical offerings, we see Jesus Christ portrayed. All of that was a picture and pointed to the person and work of Jesus Christ. They were in regards to his birth and his life, and now they're in his death and his resurrection, and they will be in his future coming kingdom to be established, will be absolutely fulfilled. The angels told the disciples in Acts chapter 1 at his ascension, this same Jesus... In other words, in this same body that's been resurrected, that's ascending before you, the power for him to lift himself up before them and to disappear into the heavens, this same body which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. So we're looking for his glorious appearing one day in the clouds, in a great glory with the legions of angels. And yet, while we don't fully understand how, that, how all that will, will come to pass, we know it is true just as his first coming was true. Our Lord gives us spiritual illumination. In verse 45, the Bible says he opened their understanding. And this we pray every time we meet, every time we read his word, every time it is taught or preached to us. Lord, open our understandings, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of thy law. And they could comprehend spiritual truth. Now this is a, a unique and supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that we can comprehend spiritual things. The Bible tells us in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that God hath revealed these things to us, how? By His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. I'd say these are pretty deep, wouldn't you? Bodies that can, can come and go and eat in a glorified body, His ascension, the powers that His body had, the deep things of God. And things of God knoweth no man but by the Spirit of God. But the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. The natural man, that word describing someone who's not been illumined, who's not been regenerated, the unsaved person, the natural man receiveth not the Spirit of God, the things of the Spirit of God. And they are foolishness to him. To an unsaved person, the things that I've talked about today seem silly are foolish, these very precious things that we hold dear and commemorate this day. Why? Because the Spirit of God has not shown them these things. And we ought to always pray when God's Word is preached that the Spirit of God would do His work of showing, of opening up, 
of opening up the spiritual eyes, the eyes of the soul and the heart. They are foolishness unto them, neither can he know them because they are spiritually critiqued, they're spiritually discerned. And now I come to the part of this text which is our part, our commissioning, our, our marching orders. Just as the Lord stayed here for, for a specific period of time, why does he not at our salvation, when he does illumine us, when he does open our eyes, why doesn't he just take us to heaven? Wouldn't, wouldn't that just solve a whole lot of problems, the problems we talked about being fearful of and worried about? If the day the Lord had saved you, whenever that was, if you'd just been translated to heaven immediately, just think about it. We often think, why this life? Why with its problems and sorrows and so forth? We see in verse 47, our commissioning, our marching orders, why we're here. Are we here just to, just to sing, as wonderful as that is, and to, to hear his word preached? Why, why are we left here? Why did, did Christ constitute his church and gift his church and give it order and, and uh, a plan as the great architect of his church? Why are we here? Verse 47 tells us, and that repentance and remission of sins should be, must be, required to be preached in his name, among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. What is it that we're to tell all nations? No matter what their background or their religion, and this is where it gets very sticky in this day of time of political correctness, and who are we to say? What is it that we're to preach all nations? What is it that the word of God says must be declared to all people? We think about those pressing things that parliaments and congresses are mulling over today and tomorrow. Supreme Court decisions that, that are, are pending and they will listen to. What, are, what is the most important thing that every person on earth must know? What is the message that we are to give to every creature? That Christ has died for our sins and that all men everywhere are to repent. What a message. It's an intimidating message because it presupposes that there, there's only one way, there's only one truth that must be taught. This, according to verse 7, is to be preached in His name among all nations. Why? Because all men in every nation have broken God's law. None, none are, are exempt. Every person on earth no matter what their mother tongue may be, have broken God's law. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All are sinners. And they need to know that. That is the first preaching of the gospel is introduced by the bad news is that you have offended, broken and offended a holy God's law. And that you're at odds with Him. The scripture says we're born enemies of God. Many people say, I'm not an enemy of God. I, I, I like God. I, I believe there's a creator. I'm not an enemy of God. And they must be shown that the scripture says we're all enemies of God by our sin. We're all men in every nation have broken God's law. We've broken his law in word and in deed. All men have transgressed, crossed over the lines given in God's word. We have disregarded that thou of the moral law of God. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, Behold, all we like sheep have gone astray. And we have turned every one, not some in some place, 
We have turned everyone to his own way. And in so doing, made ourselves our own God because we decided we will go our way instead of what our Creator has told us. God says in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4, Behold, all souls are mine. What a declaration. If you stand out, you know, I read of a man standing in, a, in this area, and he, he had his visitor there, and he said, he was on a mountaintop, he said, As far as your eye can see, I own all of this. All of this is mine. He told his visitor to turn around on the other side as far as you are, I can see. Thousands and thousands of acres. What a declaration. It's hard for us to, to imagine someone owning the title deed to that much territory, that much acreage. Thousands and thousands of acres. But when the creator and sustainer of all the universe declares, every soul that has ever lived is mine. What authority. What power. What a declaration. Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also is the soul of the Son is mine. And the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Satan came and whispered in Eve's ear, Shall you really die? Do you you believe that? Eve, if you eat of that fruit, you'll not die. Did God say you would die? Most people on earth approach the Word of God in that way. Does it really mean that? I mean, is it, are you sure? Is, is that? And Eve partook of the fruit, and while she did not drop dead immediately, she knew immediately that, that horrible things had taken place. She was scared. She never knew fear. She was at odds with her husband. She began to connive and convince her husband. She was fearful of losing him in a relationship, and he was scared of losing her. Fear began to control what they did, something they had never known except a reverential love of God. Now they begin to fear. Now they begin to hide. Now they begin to cower. All men in every nation need the Savior. Every man everywhere and every woman, boy and girl, need the cleansing and forgiveness of sin. All nations need the gospel. But not only that, God has a people, a bride made up of people from all nations. And how will that bride be gathered if all nations do not hear? He commands us to go to all people, no matter how backward or unknowing or hostile. We think of hostile people on earth today, don't we? Fearsome people. I think of our missionaries serving in places where people are being beheaded as we speak. I think of, if you look in that perspective, you think of the call to, to Jonah to go to Nineveh to pray. Those were those kind of fierce people, the Ninevites. Mean, fearful, who absolutely rejected everything that, that Jonah would say. And so we can understand why Jonah would run the opposite direction, not want to go. And you look at it in the light of, of what you hear about today, going and confronting at the, at the very center of some of these places? Can you imagine going to an ISIS camp or encampment and standing in their great city and, and declaring the, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Wouldn't you take a boat going somewhere, possibly? We have missionaries doing exactly that. Oh, it's, it's one thing to say Christ is risen from the dead this morning in this comfortable house where you're not, you're not, you're not fearful of anything happening to you for declaring those things. But all men... And women everywhere, by the authority of Jesus Christ, need to hear that He is the Savior. 
If he commands us to go to all people, no matter how backward or unknowing or hostile or entrenched in false religion they may be, there are some among them who will turn from their idols and trust the living God. Isn't that a glorious promise? The promise of the gospel. John saw in the great revelation which the Lord gave him a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb and cried with a loud voice, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and to the Lamb that was slain. Not all nations, not only did all nations need the Savior, but He has a people, a bride, a church made up of all nations. We see here in our congregation just a foretaste. We have people from, from China here today and various parts of, of Africa and the Philippines. And, and uh, oh, I'm, I'm beginning to name, I'll lose out some, some places all across the room here and, and across the way. And just a foretaste of that great host in heaven of the redeemed. But those among these nations who repent and believe on the Savior will be a witness to others in their nation who hear it but refuse it. In the great day when the small and the great stand before him in judgment and there's coming a day when every soul that's ever lived will stand before their creator and give an account. Judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works, the Holy Spirit records for us. They will be asked if the Bible says here, if Jesus Christ in his last word says that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, what will be asked when the books are open? Did you repent and believe the gospel? And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We have one message Not a jillion messages, not a bunch of stuff. One message that is to be given to every person to preach to all people everywhere. And that's what our Lord did. And Mark tells us exactly what Jesus did in Mark 1 verse 14. Now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled. Here it is. I am here. I am the Messiah. This is what it is. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Let me ask you something. If Jesus Christ began his ministry and carried out his ministry with one message, repent ye and believe the gospel, how can we add to it? How could we change it? How could we turn it into something else? That's what we're to tell all men. It's very simple, isn't it? We can complicate it. We can add to it to our own demise and the watering down of the gospel of of Jesus Christ. But it comes down in the great day. There will be one thing required. Did you repent and believe on Jesus Christ as the only Savior? Repentance and remission of sins are inseparably joined together. Where there's one, you will find the other. Where there's true repentance, there's always remission or the sending away of sins. Isn't that a glorious thing? We try to segregate and dissect things, but remission and repentance are always together. True, genuine repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ always brings about remission. And that Greek word for remission is freedom. Isn't that what everyone is searching for today? Pardon, deliverance. 
forgiveness, glorious liberty, the remission, the taking away, the sending away of our sins. God remits. He sends away the believing sinner's sin from him. What an encouraging, delivering, freeing message to deliver. Of all the things I could be asked to give to all nations today, if I gave him the philosophy as Chris Lamb, I've showed you Chris Lamb's wisdom is pretty flawed, isn't it? It's, it's one-sided, it's skewed, and it's based on often hearsay and, and feelings and things that I may think, but it may not be true. My most earnest efforts would be flawed apart from a divine message. Look at the world today. Look at man's philosophies. What man has come up with. Look at the mess we're in. Let me ask you one question. Some of you may disagree with me today. Are we any better today than Adam and Eve were in the garden after their fall from the Lord? Has all confusion gone? Are all relationships restored? Are all questions answered? Look at all the, the, what education and technology does. It just makes us more educated, know how to do more things, have more information. It takes us often farther and farther away from the truth. If I have one message to give to every person, I'm one of those kind of people, if you tell me what to do, I can, I'm like a bulldog. I can hold on to that and do it. If I have to come up with it on my own, it's kind of, you know, I'm out there. But you give me something to do, that one thing to do, and I can, I'll be found trying, as the old timers would say. I can plot, as William Carey would say. I can do that. It's so simple. There's not a person in this room, there's not a child in one of our Sunday school classes that doesn't know what to do. Tell everybody that they're a sinner. And they need a Savior. And Christ is the Savior. And He's willing to save. And He'll do that if they repent and turn to Him. It's a simple message. And it's the one thing that everybody that breathes on earth needs to hear. Back of all that we do or say, that's the message. Someone is asking, what do you mean by repentance? There are at least four components I believe the genuine biblical repentance that ends in salvation. There may be someone here today wondering, I've never heard of what you're saying today. What do you mean by that? You just said where there's genuine repentance, there is remission of sin. So how does that, how does that work? Do I do something? Do I join something? Do I, what, 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 what does that mean? First of all, as we've already mentioned, there must be illumination. There must be showing. There must be understanding Light must be given by the Lord. And if you're questioning, I'm wondering about my standing before him. I do believe there's a God in heaven. I do believe he sent his son. And you're there. You're saying, I believe the record of what you're saying today. That, That light must be given to you, that you must see your condition. Many people never see that they're sinners. They spend their entire lives justifying why they've done what they've done. They've never come to the place of just humbly agreeing with God, yes, I'm messed up. I am messed up. I have messed up. I am messing up even as we speak. I'm a sinner. I have no excuses. I can blame my mother, my third cousin, where I was born, the race I am, circumstances. When you get beyond all of that, I I know, Pastor, that the Word of God says I'm, I'm a sinner. 
And I want to, to, to address you just now. You've been shown, if you believe that, you are shown that by a work, a, a miraculous work of the Spirit of God. Because people don't even admit that or see that unless they're shown that. So that's great to know, isn't it? If you say, yes, I messed up. I've got, you don't know the stuff I've got going on in here. I don't want to know. I don't have to know. But the, if you believe that, a work has been shown you. A work has been done in you. The Spirit of God has shown you that you're a sinner. You know, must understand your guilt. But there's one thing to know that we're guilty. The thieves on the cross both said we, we deserve to be here. We, we did what we did to be here. Guilt alone is not repentance. If that was true, Judas repented. He, he felt very guilty, didn't he? But never was saved. Not only is there illumination or understanding these things, but there must be humiliation. And this is the thorny place where the human mind and heart just does not want to go to humble themselves. Sorrow must be produced over the sinner's sin of the very fact that I have broken God's law ought to bring a, a sorrow to me, that his holiness has been impugned, that his, his, his attributes have been walked over by my, my insolence and my, my decisions, that lies have been hurt by what I've done, not only myself but others. There must be a, a genuine humiliation bowing before the law of God and says, yes, your law is right in everything that it says, and yes, I have willingly broken it. Again, if you're that far, the Lord has brought you to that place. You didn't get there because you're just a smart person. There are a lot of smart people in hell today. You don't come to the, the place of repentance because you've got it all figured out and you realize, well, anybody can see I've got a problem here, Pastor. The Holy Spirit shows us that. It gives you light or understanding and brings you to a place of humility. Remember the thieves on the cross? One of them never got to that place, did they? But one finally did. yes. This is the Son of God. I do deserve to be here. And he turns in faith to him. There must be not only illumination and humiliation, but a detestation. That means hating. The sinner loves his or her sin. It holds power over us. And we love it. A sinner must get to that place where they hate their sin and loathe it and be repulsed by their own sin, and realize that which they're holding on to is filthy and stinking. As the Scripture says, the very best we can come up with is filthy rags. Who would cling to vomit, ruined clothes when there's a new set of clothes here and your size ready to give you? Who would say, no, I'll just keep this. I, it's me. It's what I am. That stench of your sin you must be repulsed by. And again, if you get to that place... That's a work of the Spirit to, to make you feel and see that you're sin in that light. And I'm afraid that a lot of people on church roads on Easter Sundays have never gotten to that place. They can sing Hallelujah is Risen. They can give you the facts of the gospel of 1 Corinthians 15. But they've never come to that place. And then in true repentance there will be transformation. There will be a change of heart. A change of mind toward themselves and toward the Savior. I didn't come up with a message. Our resurrected Lord said that repentance and remission of sins should be preached to all people. The fact that your, your sins can be taken away, sent away. Isn't that a wonderful thought today? The light will, be, will produce sorrow 
which will produce a hatred of one's sin, and then a change will come over the repenting sinner. The hymn writer says, Repentance is to leave the sins we loved before and show that we in earnest grieve by doing so no more. True repentance is a sign of pardon from sin. David said in Psalm 34, The Lord is near to them that are of a broken heart and saveth such is be of a contrite spirit. Who is saved? Who are those that are candidates for salvation? Those who are of a contrite spirit. They're not, they don't have their puny fists in God's face and said, you did this to me. You, you allowed me to be here. They come in absolute bowing before the Lord. The Lord saveth such as be of a contrite heart. And all of this, my friend, is a gift from God. A work that only His Holy Spirit can do. I said there were four things, and lastly, it's the promise given. Look there in verse 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tear ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And He led them out as far as to Bethany, and He lifted up His hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God and blessing God. Amen. Well, that's us. That's where we are. Our Lord has ascended on high. He's called us in his name. He has blessed us. He's given us this message to proclaim, this work to do. And we're to continue until Jesus comes. He said, I will build my church. Do you know how he does that? One person at a time comes and says, yes, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. The Lord has shown me my condition and has shown me he's the only Savior. I come just humbly to him, receiving him now, receiving him as Savior. And one by one, the body of Christ is built until one day he will come again. He will be finished. And the Lord will come and receive his bride into himself. The question is, are, are you in that number? Oh, it's a wonderful thing to sing of these beautiful hymns and this time of wonder, this time of spring and resurrection, the truths that we teach. But the, it all comes down to you personally, individually in your standing before God. Would you bow your head in prayer this morning? Lord, as we close this service of of praise and commemoration, we pray again that the Holy Spirit of God would, would search us and try us and know our thoughts. I'm sure that in a crowd this size and, and those who will hear this message, there are those who have not repented. There are those who have not come to that place of repentance and faith. Lord, you said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I pray that you would show each one these things. May they humbly come agreeing with you, siding with you against themselves. Lord, everything your word says about me is true. I am a sinner. I have broken your law. I have messed up. I have willfully chosen my own way. But Lord, I want to be made new. I want to be yours. I want to come under your reign and your authority. I humble myself. Oh, Lord, give faith to believe. 
those who need the gospel today. We thank you that all of us who are saved have come this way, humbling ourselves after hearing the the glorious message of the person and work of Jesus Christ, that, that God the Son became flesh and lived what we could never do in a thousand lifetimes, a perfect life, bearing our debt, dying in our place, and rising again. Lord, that the feeblest person in this room can be saved. The one who has no education, the one who has a 45 degrees, no one is exempt because you said everyone needs to hear this message. It's a simple message of faith and belief. Oh, would you equip your gospel and do that work at this point? We have full confidence. We're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth. Oh, would you not come just now receiving him? We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.